You're listening to the TV Obsessive channel, presented by tvobsessive.com. Okay, welcome back to the TV Obsessive podcast. I'm Gavin Crane, the executive editor of tvobsessive.com. I'm joined here as always by Ryan Kirksey, writer and contributor for the site. How are you doing today, Ryan? I am doing great. Excited to be here for our seventh episode now. Um, My question for you today is, have you ever been to a monster truck rally? I don't know. I know. I don't think so. I've, I've, uh, it's sad to say, even growing up with them as... A, a significant part of the the culture here in in 80s and 90s Texas. I've never been to a, a monster truck rally. Yeah, I, I feel I know I haven't been to one. Okay, but I feel like I hesitated a little bit. We're on the same age. There was this feeling when we were younger, like this was way more pervasive. Yes, you <laughs> like you you you'd encounter it. Like I remember. You just be watching TV like Sunday, 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 and I'm like, I'm living in Detroit or whatever. It's like sorry, oh, oh, oh. And, uh, and yeah, as a cultural phenomenon, maybe it's uh, died yeah. down a little bit. I feel like there was one. I think his name was Bigfoot. That was the you know, that was that was the popular one. That was the one that everybody knew, right? But no, never never seen any of those in person. And clearly, this will this will be a topic we touch on with our topic later today. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to dig in on the Righteous Gemstones season three. If you all have been following along with the podcast, um, we talked about season two last week, and we talked about season one the week before. Um, moving forward from here, I think we're gonna we're gonna do Winning Time, right? At least next week. That would be great. Yeah, yeah. Well, so we love Winning Time. We'll see how that goes. We both like Winning Time, and season two <laughs> premieres next Sunday, and uh, so we'll at least talk about the season premiere and sort of see how that goes. Um, so yeah, for, uh, so before we dig into righteous gemstones here today, as usual, we'll, we'll hit on some industry news and notes and talk about what we're watching and, and things like that. Um, I don't know how much is is in the news really. We're sitting here; it's August first, twenty twenty three. What do you got, Ryan? What, what caught your eye this week? Yeah, this a lot of things come back these days to these these ongoing strikes. Obviously, WGA and SAG that are um, not seeing much progress in terms of the negotiations not much happening at the table as it were and so you're starting to get these news filtered down from networks and shows and what's going to happen in the in the fall and and one that caught my eye this week was the announcement that jeopardy made where jeopardy's had this resurgence as they've moved a lot of event-based programming to prime time a lot of people watching but these new hosts and sort of new formats but they've come out and said they are not going to be doing new uh new new content new episodes as it stands right now to a point that you made to me a minute ago that this may have been led by some of the contestants when they came up when jeopardy came out and said we might use recycled questions contestants said no we're going to sort of stand with the jeopardy writers which we believe are part of the union and yeah. and therefore the show can't can't go on without those yeah i mean that's what i gathered at least now yeah. in fairness to the jeopardy folks i don't know that it's true yeah, it, it wasn't like they publicly said, "Hey, we're going to reuse questions." I don't think so. Uh, yeah, you know, what, right. what exactly went on? There were at least some murmurs that they were thinking about doing this or, or what have you. But um, yeah, what I've gathered is it did seem largely led by the people who would be on the tournament of champions thing or whatever, whatever they were calling this one, saying, "No, we're not going to do this if you're going to reuse previously written questions and all of that." Um, in solidarity with uh, the writers on strike, um, which it makes sense, you know. Similarly, um, 
did I guess they officially postponed the Emmys at this point? We, we sort of saw that coming before. I, I did. I did say that officially was was announced. The Emmys have been postponed. So really, it's you know it's anything that employs these writers part of the the WGA. Whereas some game shows, Emmys, there were plans to have some original content in the in the fall. That was a probably going to be mostly reality TV game shows and sports. You know, that, that list is dwindling now with the announcement of these two things. Yeah. I mean, with the Emmys, I think it's mostly the actors, right? right. Because like the, if, per the strike rules, the actors would not be able to attend the Emmys. So you can have an Emmy ceremony and put it on TV with, with no actors, you know, like <laughs> in, in theory you could, but, but who wants yeah. to watch that? I guess. I mean, that one is, is kind of depressing to me insofar as that was planned for September. So it kind of seems like they're already saying, well, this is going to be resolved by September. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I, I try to hear and, and and read a lot of stuff. And and I would say if I'm tabulating the most common month that that I'm that people are are speculating, it's more November, December, that time frame when this yeah. may come to an end. Which is, you know, what's really disturbing. There was that that kind of leaked or planted little blurb. In, I think it was in Deadline, you know, where supposedly one of the executives said that their strategy was to push this until people started losing their homes. Remember that oh, you know boy, what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah. And and the thing is, like they were saying, whoever this ignominy you know, executive was, which I think I know who it was, but we won't. Know <laughs> um, like it feels like kind of known in a certain way, but not officially. Um, but. It, it distressingly starts feeling like that was true, yeah. Right, because in that blurb, they're saying we're just going to push this until October, late yeah. October. You know, it was like they were saying we have calculated that uh, that will be the point when these people are struggling to eat. Yeah, you know, exactly. and oh man, I just I don't know. I can't. It the fact that they aren't negotiating is just really, um, really disturbing. And it would seem, by all accounts, it's the um, AMPTP is not negotiating. You know, they're, they're yeah. just not coming to the table. It seems like there's no desire to even get around a table. I, I, as a big baseball fan, I think about the the labor strike two years ago was they were trying to uh, strike a new collective bargaining agreement. And there was just this massive, the, 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 this massive wave of emotion and thoughts as the opening day approached and there was no deal struck. Now that, that two years ago, eventually what happened was they delayed the opening of the season by two weeks, but they were every day meeting together, trying to get this thing hammered out because they knew they were approaching this deadline. Now there's no cut and fast drive, you know, no deadline for TV that they have to have it by a certain date. But we know that many of these networks, many of these streaming services are going to run out maybe by the fall, run out of content that's that's new. And so it's just it, it is depressing to, to see that no one is is particularly on the studio side is is very interested in sitting around the table right now. Yeah, it is. I don't, and I don't know. They both side both sides seem very dug in. Yeah. And it does worry me as someone who wants I mean, we love television, right? I mean, that's why we're doing yeah. this. So we're right about it, all of this, all of this kind of stuff. I mean, um I'm definitely I'll say again, I'm fully would stand in solidarity with the with the, with the workers on strike, with the writers and actors on strike. But you know, the, the feeling that both sides are really just so dug in. Yeah. You know, like the writers are saying, "Oh, haha, that's funny that you think we have homes and things like this." You know, or like <laughs> we're not going to get 
you're not going to get us that way. And then, and yeah, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll just have to kind of um, hope that at some point uh, a fair resolution comes about here. So, yeah, we do. Um, I agree with you on the side of those um, that, are, that are not crossing the picket lines on the, the SAG and, and WGA side. So hopefully there will be some more news on that in the in the weeks to come. But there are some new things that will be coming out this fall. Um, just after I'll, I'll save my thoughts for a, a short while from now about Secret Invasion. But right after that finishes, we get a trailer for... Um, the new Disney Plus Marvel show Loki season two, and you know while I enjoyed the first season and and thought it was good and excited that that Tom Hiddleston and and Owen Wilson will be back for for a second season, I really wanted to just watch this closely because of this whole saga that's ongoing with Jonathan Majors right now, right? So he has a court date coming up next month. Actually, sorry, later this month in August now. And, and so there's a lot of eyes on what happens to his his story. What does Marvel and the MCU choose to do with him? He was in this trailer for a few seconds, right? So there's this thought of what are they going to do with this this season to, or will they do anything with this season to minimize him, sort of push his story aside while all this resolves? And he's in there several times, so they're not they're not hiding from him. Uh, so I just found that interesting that they're gonna, I guess, somewhat full speed ahead as they uh, are really have built their future on his character of Kang. Uh, they're they're not hiding from that as the show is getting ready to kick off again in October. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I thought it was sort of striking as someone who um, like uses Twitter a bit that with the Flash, it seemed like full speed ahead with Ezra Miller. Yeah. I've seen all kinds of stuff about Ezra Miller. You know, like if, if you want to talk about cancel culture, people were trying to cancel Ezra Miller pretty explicitly. People were like, and you know, that went forward. So I don't know what Jonathan Majors. It seems like this is done. I mean, Loki is has been done, probably, I guess. You know? Yeah. Uh, the show is the show is done, but then of course they've announced an Avengers King Dynasty movie two years from now. They've announced that he's you know, essentially the new Thanos of of the next couple of phases. But this was before all of this broke back in March about yeah. his uh, potential accused uh, domestic abuse situation. And, and some of that's going to get resolved here in August and some may not. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, do you think that they... Well, I don't even want to ask if that's fair. But will they maybe adjust later in terms of some of those later plans? It seems to me like probably in terms of what you're talking about with Loki he's in it it's done it'll probably you know go yeah. forward like that yeah um, you can you can certainly do some reshoots to you know to, to adjust an ending of this show to not put him at the forefront whereas i imagine that this was just another step towards this you know this massive event that would feature him going forward i bet they can they can redo that if they need to if they want to try to distance themselves depending on what happens this month again it's still two plus months till the show comes out so they've got some leverage to be able to do that yeah, man, you just gotta be putting all this stuff together, you know, because it's like, <laughs> well, the actors are on strike, so they can't do, um, that's yeah, what do they call it again, ADP or whatever. So, you know, sometimes they re record lines, right? People know right. They, they, that's one thing that they can't do, you know, yeah. and then of course, you have the, um, you know, one of the issues in the strike is the use of so called AI and things like this. So, you could actually see them adjusting what he says and just like making the computer manipulated version. I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, it, 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 it was a, 
a good, maybe the best, for whatever bar you want to set, best Disney Plus MCU show. Uh, but this has a very interesting angle to it that I'll be interested to watch. And I think um, if I have this right, I think I'm going to try to cover this show for the for the site. So that'll be coming yeah, out. It'll be good. Yeah. So that's in October, I believe, right? Yep, that's right. So they, we'll see if they stick to that. They've exactly. delayed a couple of things, more movies, but there was um, or is a TV show on our radar, um, which is now called The Murder at the End of the World. Mm. That was supposed to come out in late August, and now they're saying November on that. So I don't know if they'll delay anything else. This is also kind of a weird tactic in my mind. Yeah. yeah. That, um, you know, I mean, it makes almost more sense with TV if they're trying to spread out what they have or something like this. But, um, yeah, I know on the movie side, you know, we've heard things like, I think movies like the third Venom movie, Bad Boys 4, are confirmed to be delayed. A lot of this is because they those are scheduled to come out in the fall and they they can't do the marketing without the people associated with it. And so they're pushing those, but some are still up in the air, like the second Dune movie, um, Craven, which is another Marvel property that's scheduled for October. So it really just depends on if there's any progress over these next few months. Yeah, it just seems weird to me like that you would say you're going to delay it because the actors aren't able to do promotion. Mm-hmm. Is that, I don't, know, I don't know why, it just seems kind of odd. To yeah. me. You just yeah. had Barbie and Oppenheimer. They both <laughs> seem to do pretty well you know, without <laughs> yeah. actors out there um, you know, on the late night talk show circuit, things like this. So, Yeah, Bar- uh, Barbie's about to cross $1 billion. I'm sure you saw that today. Oh man, I mean, great. I don't know, great. <laughs> uh, a couple other things to hit on. We had a few significant deaths in, since last time we spoke. Um, yesterday it was we got Paul Rubens in the morning and then Angus Cloud in the afternoon. Um, then it was a little bit further back with Sinead O'Connor. Yeah. And then all of the, I mean, I found all of those to be variously um, sad. Yeah. yeah, Angus Cloud. I don't know. Did you watch Euphoria at all? I was going to ask you the same thing. I've never seen an episode of Euphoria. I don't know if that's just not not meant for me, or if it's just not my not my cup say, of tea. But yeah, I will say, Rod, to the extent that I know you, it might not be for you. Because <laughs> you know? like I'm not sure it's for me either. I actually did write on the second season for the site, um, and uh, I don't know. It's a mixed bag. Without going too far down some kind of tangent there. This is where I know Angus Cloud from, you know, yeah. this Fazco in the show. And um, I always found him to be just an incredible bright spot in the show. Um, and plus, I mean, now it's 25 years old. Yeah. Um, the statement that I saw said that, again, not, not discussing anything about cause of death, but a few weeks ago, he buried his own father and that that really hit him emotionally and 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 mentally and physically and and there could be some things that resulted uh from that that was the statement that his family put out mm-hmm. yeah i mean i could see that i mean yeah, yeah you and i being middle-aged men i think that the the paul rubens and Sinead o'connor resonate much more with you know some things from our youth and what we remember about sort of their significance back uh 30 plus years ago oh yeah i mean these are cultural icons right you know i mean Sinead o'connor um Besides making exceptionally good music, you know, you have that famous TV moment when she ripped up the picture of the Pope on live TV. Do you, you remember when that happened? We were kids. 
I, I didn't see that one. I remember it being everywhere, you know, all yeah. over every news channel after the fact. Um, and even though not um, not growing up Catholic, you know, there being just sort of a, any church event I went to after that, just sort of this this tone of, oh, did you hear what happened? You know, someone disrespected this this holy figure on on live TV. So yeah, this was this was a. Uh, I mean, this is a real milestone moment, particularly that it happened in live TV. There's nothing they could do about it. Yeah. I mean, younger people today might not realize it might might even feel really weird to them in a certain way how much of a scandal this was. This was a huge um, kind of scandalous event. And um, uh, people turned on her, you know? Absolutely. Um, I was... I was kind of supported her. I don't know. It, it feels weird to say like 10 year old Cameron was behind Sinead O'Connor, but it, it was kind of, <laughs> you know, I mean, she was um, trying to bring to light uh, sexual abuse in the church and, and things like this, you know, and um, she was right about that. She was right. She was very right. Actually, you know, very ahead of her time in that, in that regard. But um, yeah, this was sort of the, the pre Janet Jackson, Justin Timberlake, Sort of FCC debacle that they had to deal with after the fact, right? And and uh, it's happened more than ten years before their whole Super Bowl incident. Yeah, I mean, I think what one of the things that's striking me thinking back on it is is how widespread the um, offense was. I mean, like people being offended, right? As you say, not just Catholics, but this yeah. sort of like widespread cultural way, like pearl clutching. I can't believe that one would possibly, right? You know um do do such a thing um and then you know paul rubens paul rubens of course had his own scandal um Wee yeah. herman you watch Wee's playhouse oh yeah oh yeah that was I, that, that was certainly something that was on in our house my younger brother and i that would be on um you know I, I, not long ago because my wife was a fan of the movies or is a fan of the movies we, we revisited just some of what the themes were that we didn't understand at the time that they you know came out of that show and came out of those movies but at the time it was just this goofy thing we could watch on saturday mornings or whatever yeah i, I revisited a little bit a couple of years ago and it's kind of great i mean it's yeah. really weird for <laughs> you know you think back and like i was watching this as a kid and you go, oh, that's fine yeah it's like it's yeah i think it's kind of good that there were things for us to watch that were strange or, or what have you but man yeah it's a bummer the big thing that sticks with me is the word of the day bit you remember this i do remember and this they, they yes. all go, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> like i um, want to do that sometimes when someone uses a um you know, some kind of buzzword or something like, yeah. start talking about corporate synergy or something. People just don't even get it. But yeah, man, bummer that uh, we lost. Yeah, that was some, and, as, as you said, sometimes happens in three. That was three big, three big losses in the, uh, in, in the industry right now. Well, why don't we, why don't we move along? Anything catch your eye this week that you're watching, new, old, or otherwise? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that I'm watching is, older i started watching evil um have you watched the show at all never seen it it was on um i think the first season was on cbs like actual cbs linear okay network. and then they moved to the to the streaming service which was called cbs all access and now it was called paramount plus maybe nice and you know convoluted for us but evil is um well it's produced by the kings who did the good wife which I watched The Good Wife and I enjoyed that. And also The Good Fight, which I haven't watched that. Maybe I'll watch that too since I've got Paramount Plus at the moment. 
Um, but like, do you, do you know the premise? It's basically like you've got um, the Catholic Church investigating supposed cases of demonic possession and things ah, like this. Okay, okay. And then our, um, well, she's basically the lead, I think. Uh, is she? You know, she's like a you know forensic psychologist. You've actually got two skeptics. It's like you've got the one guy who's training to be a priest, played by Mike Coulter, and then um, you've got the, the rest of the team to be like the kind of skeptics. So Asif Mondi's like looking into uh, are there physical causes? You know, uh, yeah, I don't know. So it's kind of cool. I, I enjoy things like this. It, it's got that kind of case of the week. You know. That's what I was just going to ask. Sort of thing. Yeah, that's what it sounds mm-hmm. like. Interesting. But with that religious, with that religious kind of, you know, overtone to it of, of is this person possessed by demons? Yeah. Or schizophrenic? You know. But I mean, I, I think see. they, I think they handle it with enough sensitivity. I guess on the mental illness front. Yeah. So. Okay. And how? When did that first come out? Do you have any idea? I think it was twenty nineteen. Okay. So, I think season okay. one was in 2019, and then it was delayed, you know, as so many things were. Um, and then it was like, I think I think it was like season two was in 2021, and season three was in 2022. You know, so um, now it'll probably be delayed again. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Um, what about you? What have you been watching? Well, I did finish... Uh, finished Secret Invasion last week. I won't spend too much time on that. Just my uh, 2,500 plus words of of how I feel about that show are up on the site right now. If you want to go to tvobsessive.com and yeah. and read read there. I, the one thing I'll say is, as I've been listening and reading about some discourse for this show, when you've lost the hardcores, then you've got a you've got a problem. And I think that this show turned off a lot of the hardcores from from where the MCU is going or what they're trying to do. So more thoughts on that. I won't go into full detail, but that's uh something that that recently finished um on my my yeah, screen. People can go read your article. I mean spoiler alert, Ryan didn't didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not an outlier there no. <laughs> you say they, they you're like they lost the hardcore fans like me. That's basically like, what wait, you were just saying, yeah. right? I, I am yeah. the embodiment of the hardcore fan, and yeah. they, yeah, so I'll, uh, you know, hopefully much more elegantly and 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 full of detail is up on the site how I how I feel about it. But yeah. maybe some not, people would disagree. Great. But I have not seen anyone defending it. I, yeah. I have not encountered anyone saying, "Oh, this was this was actually good." Yeah, there are saying. Olivia Coleman's role. I, I thought she did a very good job. Kingsley Benadir is the villain. Uh, was. Uh, his performance was good, but you just e- even some good performances can't save what is a, a really, I think, almost meaningless plot and and does not drive anything anything forward. So and Ben Mendelsohn was in this, right? Ben Mendelsohn was in this. Right. I, I have not watched Secret Invasion, so, so yeah. I'm, I'm just curious. Did they ever take the opportunity to make a little joke about him playing Spider Man? <laughs> no, <laughs> never, never once, never that's, once. That's a that's a Barry reference. Remember that? Yeah, Barry that, that that's right. He <laughs> he was underused in this in this season. So all of these things are things I touch on in the in the piece. If you want to go see full full thoughts on it, but gonna put that one out of sight and out of mind and 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 move on. You know, like like a good MCU fan that that I am. But one thing I I have been excited about and. 
boy, I wish it were August 2nd already. We're filming this or we're recording this on August 1st is I've gotten hooked on this show hijack on Apple TV plus. This is the Idris Elba takes place on a plane. That's spoiler alert been hijacked. Um, really? Okay. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, and again, no, no details about this, but it's, it's sort of a, cross between a couple of movies I thought of red eye, the old Killian Murphy movie. And I don't know if you saw the movie, the negotiator with Samuel L. Jackson. And Kevin oh man. Yeah. Back in the day, put those yeah. two movies together. And that's what you've got here with this show. It is a fascinating thriller, really great pace. Um, lots of different places. It jumps to, um, and six of the seven episodes have come out at the time of this, that we're recording seventh and final episode of this season airs wednesday august 2nd and it's i found it to be fantastic cool yeah and that's on my radar i haven't checked it out i like he just held up um you ever watch luther i did see some luther yes i yes. feel like, i think they kept making luther stuff and i'm behind i like i but i don't know i thought the first season of luther was brilliant um and then i think i watched more than that and i thought i wasn't quite as into it as i had been i mean yeah. it's also one of these weird ones <laughs> Weird because I'm an American, where it's a British show, and be like the season is three 90 minute episodes, yeah, <laughs> which always kind of feels a little bit, uh, yeah, uh, the uh, Sherlock Holmes model as well, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel it's a, it's a very British thing to do this, yeah. you know. Like, I tried watching, um, I struggle with it a little bit. I tried watching Wire in the Blood at one point. You ever watch that? Never, no, it's the same kind of thing. This is like an institution, I don't know if they're still making it for sure or not. But people started telling me it was really good. And I was like, well, I'll check it out. You know, and it's like each episode is 90 minutes and there's three episodes in the seat. This doesn't feel like watching TV to me. Yeah. It, it feels like watching um films, you know, which yeah. is like that that's fine. But um anyhow, you said the you said you started watching Justified City Prime a, Evil. I have watched the first episode. I'm hoping you and I can talk about this more in the future, but uh, certainly the first episode hooked me for a couple of different reasons. Um, won't go into any, any spoilers there, but I, I know this has been a, uh, a very strong critical show and something that's gotten a lot of, a lot of eyeballs recently. So I'm excited. I think there's at least four or five more episodes out, out right now. Uh, I think that, uh, I think episode four comes out tonight, actually. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm writing on this week to week if people are interested in going and, and reading recaps. So. Uh, definitely seen one thing that didn't make it in there I'll, I'll ask you i'm just curious what do you think of his daughter good question so we see in the first episode we have just a few minutes of the uh, of the daughter and it's almost like in the first our first interaction with her i really didn't like her and at the end of the episode i really started to fall in love with her i thought that she was really quirky little you know real plucky um it's sort of a, a good foil to, you know, kind of the, the hardline Raylan Givens character. So um, through one episode, I, I kind of have already made a little bit of a, a 180 um, just in, in the few minutes we've seen of seen of her um, and to not give give anything away. I, I, I was you know, what was looked like it was going to be a plot point of something that was happening with her. I'm glad that did not happen so that we should be able to see more of more of her. So I guess we do see more mm -hmm. of her in the episodes to come. Yeah, and I, I mean, I won't get into spoiler territory either. You, you're aware this is Timothy Elephant's the actual daughter. Oh, that's his real daughter. Okay. Yeah, and and so I mean, I kind of I don't know. I've been a little bit meh, unsure about Willa, um, and 
intentionally, I don't want to, I, I kind of intentionally decided not to be hard on her in the articles from, I didn't want to use the phrase Nepo baby or something, you know, mm, which, yeah. which, which came to mind. Yeah, Vivian Holocaust. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know. From a detached point of view, I think it is kind of cool because it fits with the timeline. You had Willa in the end of the original series and, you know, so and now they're doing it and they've got Timothy's real daughter, Vivian, playing Raylan's daughter, Willa. I mean, it, it, it's kind of, but yeah, I, I, I get, I, I've also had, I guess, the mixed feelings that you're talking about in certain moments where I think she's kind of annoying or something yeah. like that. And then other moments, <laughs> it's like, oh, no, this actually maybe it does work. And yeah, I don't, know, I don't, I don't want to rag on it, but I was kind of curious what you thought of it. I'll check back in with you after I catch up and let you know my fuller thoughts on that. Cool. All right. Well, um, you want to get to the Righteous Gemstones? I would love to. I'd love to talk about this third season. Okay. So, as always, um, take a brief pause here. And on the other side, we're going to dig in. With all spoilers on the table for the entirety of the Righteous Gemstones season three, the season finale aired uh, at the time of this recording just a couple nights ago. So if you haven't had a chance to watch it yet, uh, maybe go watch it. Um, if you want to listen to this, even though you've never seen the show at all, you're of course free to do so. Everyone's free. Um, but there will be spoilers, all plot points potentially on the table on the other side of the break. And uh, we'll start that now. Okay, let's pick back up with season three of Righteous Gemstones, a show I have now binged all three seasons, I think, in the past past month and have had a blast doing that but first cameron there was some news some righteous gemstone news we got this past uh past week you want to remind us what that was oh that it's been renewed for season four yeah yeah, yeah. so i don't know that that Woo-wee, was a, sucker. That, yeah, <laughs> sucker. <laughs> oh dusty daniels um i don't know that that was a surprise to those that were watching the show or or anything that you know we would have expected to get right now, especially during these these strikes. But I think yeah. we'll talk about some of this this series as a whole, particularly this season, if it felt like they thought they were going to get a fourth season after this one. Yeah, I mean, I, I find myself really curious about how this works with regard to the ongoing strike. And I wish I, I mean, I found myself almost thinking about trying to reach out to someone to see if I could get some kind of answer. And I realized, like, the PR people aren't going to tell me. They're going to answer that question. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I don't know exactly how that works what I'm led to imagine and speculate is that they've actually already made this decision Yeah, uh, a while ago. They didn't make it the other day. They'd already made it and they decided that they were going to announce it, you know, um, in the lead up to the finale or, or what have you, as they did. Um, I did see a couple of people express some surprise based on the finale itself, feeling they felt like a series finale. Like I saw a couple of critics on screen. It kind of felt like a series finale to me um i don't know did, did it feel that way to you it, it did and, and i i think that my actual immediate thought so i had seen trying to think of the timeline the timeline was the season four announcement came before the finale came out which i think made me feel even more once i saw season three end that oh this is an ending that 
I know Danny McBride doesn't like cliffhangers. He likes things to exist on their own. But this really could have been if they didn't know when they started putting this script together and filming this. This really could have been a series finale. Tied up, nice little bow, some Amy Lee there watching the family. Very uh, classic feel-good ending that could have been a finale there. Yeah, I, th- I definitely think it could have been. I mean, I guess I know in the background of this, at least my understanding is based on previous interviews and things like this, that um, McBride et al., Jody Hill, and so on, that they want to keep this going. They they have in mind multiple seasons, many seasons. You know, I've I kind of gathered that. So from that point of view, I don't think it's at all surprising because I think they want to keep making more. I mean, they feel like they have the ideas to make more. I don't know how much more. At the same time, I mean, you're right. It it could well end here. And so I don't know. If if you think about each of the three seasons, they've each been fairly self-contained. Yep. So I don't know if they have this um, ethos. I remember this being said about Mad Men. Uh, I seem to recall Matthew Weiner saying something like this about Mad Men at one point. That with each season of Mad Men in writing the show, one of their rules was that they would be happy with this being the end of the show. Like that that would be okay. Like yeah. they, they had more story, they wanted to make more. Yeah. But that it would be okay. And I remember that was one thing they aimed for. I remember our conversation from a couple weeks ago, and I went just sort of look back at the details from each of the three finales we've had now. And I remember us talking two weeks ago about the season one finale when Uncle Baby Billy, Walton Goggins, is struck by lightning. And he starts sort of doing this revival movement as the the lightning preacher, the preacher back from the dead. And we thought, oh, is he going to sort of start this thing as a rivalry to the Gemstone family in season two? And basically nothing happened with that. That went nowhere. Um, you know, we got this um, this completely different storyline with this background and family piece from Uncle Baby Billy and and Aunt Tiffany in season two. And so e- even what seemed like it would be a through line didn't carry over. I think that they want each of these to be very self-contained. And I sort of picked up on that on each of the three seasons. Yeah, I do wonder with season one, though, if they would have carried that forward more, if not for the production delays. I don't have an answer to this. Like we'd have to, yeah, yeah, have to ask Danny McBride or or Jody Hill or, or something like that. Um, but I, but I wonder about that because season one was in 2019, right? And season two wasn't until 2022, um, because of the production delays related to the pandemic. And there's a nebulous feeling that something like that amount of time has passed in the narrative of the show, also. Mm-hmm. I think they don't address it directly, but the kids are older. It kind of just kind yeah. of feels like some indeterminate amount of time has passed, <laughs> you know? Um, so I don't know. I mean, I wonder if they said, okay, so we're going to, baby Billy's so fickle, of course, we'll have moved on from yeah. that by now. I mean, <laughs> or, or, um, or what? There's kind of one big through line, and I realize we're kind of starting at the end here. I want to circle back around to talk about a number of other things. Um but I wanted to mention Gideon here. Yeah. Part of me wanted to, and with that, that moment where Gideon asks um, about the possibility of being a preacher. Mm-hmm. But part of me wanted to go up and say, I called it <laughs> because I did. Kind yeah. of. You yeah. go back at the very beginning of season two, 
I, I did a couple of recasts filling in for Hawk, and at one point I was, it was like, this is the plot, you know, who's going to be the successor of Eli and, and so on. And I said, it should be Gideon. Yeah. I think that might be the long game. It, it, they, re- it really might be. And, you know, obviously a, a major plot point of this season was we learned from the very first moments of the very first episode of season three is that John Goodman as Eli Gemstone is taking a step back, semi-retired. He has turned some of the, some of the decisions and the production over to his three kids. And so, as you know, much of this season is, is looking at how they handle that dynamic, how they battle and bicker between each, each other. And he really is just overwhelmingly disappointed in them and who they've become and how they can't really handle this, this responsibility, even though he's looking for someone to step up and do it, knowing he can't do it forever. And then we see this at the end with Gideon, as you mentioned that with all the time Gideon spent with, Eli as his driver this season, then oh, maybe this is exactly what I want to to do. They still used his skills as a stuntman, a stunt driver, quite well this this season, but uh, maybe he's going to start transitioning more to what he uh, what his grandfather does. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it would be. I think it would be really fitting. That's why I was thinking about it even that long ago in a way that this this sort of trope of the the reluctant yeah. leader would be really kind of fitting here where part of the problem almost with Jesse is he wants to be you know, the yeah. guy. And so, and so does Calvin and so does Judy and then they bicker. Um, although I th- I did find it very amusing when they're yelling at Eli for um, not paying the ransom <laughs> and he just uh, gets happy to see his three kids united. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've never been more happy. You, you, you're, you've come together with against a common enemy, even if that's me. You know, you've made me happy by by doing it. Yeah, that was yeah. that was certainly a uh, a thesis of the show wrapped up into a few sentences there. Right. So, what else? Uh, so, yeah, we were on Eli. Do you have other things you you made a remark that uh, maybe John Goodman? Yeah, I just I, I found myself wishing there was a little bit more of him this season. I mean, I love John Goodman and this character, but certainly this is a show I think about the children and about the empire more than it is about. Eli Gemstone. I think we got so much of him because of his past in season two with the whole Memphis stuff and his his history and his family. Um, I found myself wishing there was a little bit more John Goodman, but I guess the trade-off was, I mean, we just got some classic Kelvin and Jesse and Judy pieces of of you know them them together the, this season. Um, and I wouldn't trade that for anything, but yeah, I wish there was a little bit more. A little bit more John Goodman in this in this season, but as you know, you step out and and move along. Maybe this show ends up doing that as well. I don't know. I know how much longer he'll be sort of a headliner on this, but uh, I don't know. Just found myself thinking that as we went through. Yeah. This. Well, I mean, it's actually it's interesting because I recall being kind of surprised how much he was in season two. Mm, yeah. And maybe the fact that you've gone quick so quickly through this, um creates a little bit of a different impression because I don't feel like he was that central in season one. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, and then in season two, you got so much focused on John Goodman. I, I recall being kind of surprised. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, is John Goodman too big of a name to be in the show? Obviously not at yeah. one level, but I I always had, um, you know, some kind of feeling like this is John Goodman. I don't know, yeah. at least in my mind, this is a cultural icon, man. Yeah. Um, but he's still in it uh, a decent amount. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was kind of interesting. And there's a thematic parallel there. 
Eli doesn't quite know what to do with himself mm-hmm. over the course of the season. And so to what extent is it that? And to what extent is it the the writers kind of not quite knowing what to do with Eli? You know, um But it is a good point you're making that it seems like as I as I sort of quickly revisit season one in my head that season one and season three are much, much more about the kids, their stories, their conflicts, their relationships amongst their immediate families or immediate peers than it is about um, about Eli. I mean, but I'm, I'm just thinking, yeah, in season two, we got so much, so much Eli Gemstone, so much backstory between him and Amy Lee, so much in terms of his history. But you're right, two out of three seasons have not focused primarily on that. Well, but still, what is central does have to do with his history, I suppose. And um, his sister May May and um, her husband Peter. Yep. Um, and here we have Kristen Johnson. Do you recognize her immediately? Third Rock from the Sun, right? Yeah, man. Yeah. I don't know. I just was, I just found myself wondering, <laughs> does everyone Good. recognize her immediately? Yeah. And I realized. Joseph Ford no, Levitt, Kristen Johnson, yeah, John Lithgow, all the guys. Yep. But we, uh, yeah, I'm not surprised that you did. And then Steve Zahn. Both yes. of them, I think, are, are really, really good in this. And then um, their kids, Carl and Chuck. And I apologize, I don't have the actors' names at the ready there. But this whole through line um, of the season with the Montgomerys. Thoughts about that? Did this work for you? I thought, I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah, it was surprising because I, I think if I remember correctly from episode one, it doesn't seem like that's going to be the... I guess a story, as it were, you get introduced to the Simkin family, you get introduced to, to Dusty Daniels and the fact that he's withdrawing his his contributions to the Gemstone Church and that that would be sort of the the the, the direction that this season would follow. But really, it takes a hard turn towards this Montgomery family. And but, but it, that was seemed consistent to me. It seems like the first few seasons have been let's build out the world of this family. Let's build out this Gemstone universe um and i thought this was a this was a really solid not just because of kristen johnson and steve zahn but just solid additions to that history but also to that uh story that builds who these characters are and who what's led them to this point obviously much of this season was about y2k and this (laughs) sort of phenomenon of what happened there and what they did back then but i i thought that their their storyline worked worked well once it really moved that direction and started heading there yeah, it's interesting. You make me think about. I find the the writing to be really impressive on the show. Actually, you make me think about the structure here of season three because, mm-hmm. to one degree, you're right that the stuff with the Simpkins, as I recall, and this seems really central in episode one. Yes, I think the very beginning is a bit with Maymay confronting Amy Lee at the monster truck rally and things That's like right. this. Um. So, like, what is the main story? It ends up kind of being both. What happens over the course of the season is the stuff with the Simkins gets shoved all the way in the background. Like, you might almost forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was talking to a couple of people after episode seven about, wait, wait, there's two more episodes? Like, what, what are they going to do? Yeah, like, episode seven could have been the season finale. You just, like, tack on 30 seconds of the ATF arresting Peter's group or something like this. Right. But no. So, I was like, okay. Um what are they going to do? And I mean, I recall having the conversation. I was like, well, you know, there's all that stuff about Dusty Daniels and the Simpkins. Yeah. 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 It, it was, it was weird to me because there may have been four or five episodes where 
beyond just some confrontations at the Cape and Pistol Society, that that whole group, but that whole story was completely removed from the plot. Oh, yeah. It was just it was, the very beginning, very end, and then put it together that way. So you might almost forget about it. You know? Yeah. But they did this brilliant thing where, you know, maybe if we sat down and thought really hard and did our best to play <laughs> the game of predicting what was going to happen, we could have foreseen some of this. I don't, I don't much like that game. But I find it's, you know, I still didn't see it coming somehow. It makes all the sense in the world that yeah. th that would come together with the storyline of Uncle Baby Billy's Bible bonkers. It makes all the sense in the world. You have these two things hanging <laughs> out there, right? Um, through the course of the season, they're just kind of largely in the background. Or as you say, some episodes just don't even address either one at all. Right, so, right. And that, that it would come together with, oh, well, actually... Uh, Uncle Baby Billy. Um, <laughs> he's friends with the old Dusty Daniels. Yeah. And, yeah, actually. Uh, <laughs> All right. So I have to I have to ask you, now we've sort of seen a quasi-pilot episode. If Baby Billy's Bible Bonkers was a show right now, would you watch it every week? Yeah, I think I would unironically watch it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was the, that entire sequence, I was literally sitting here with just this like shit eating grin on my face. I was so happy to see Baby Billy's Bible Bonkers and the band <laughs> and Tiffany sitting there playing the piano and just the whole thing, man. Uh, making jokes about Price of Wood and how Noah would have to have a dinghy these days. <laughs> yeah. So it was great. They have, a, they have a hurricane booth for no apparent reason whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Like, what's going on with that? I don't even make any sense. <laughs> Oh, it was uh, it was great. I mean, yeah. I, I hope we get more of it, but I don't know if it'll be as featured ever again. Yeah, listen, well, that, that's a show we need we need these days, right? So we got plenty of people, I'm sure, that would volunteer to 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 jump on that. That's the show we need during the during the strike is Baby Billy's Bible Bonkers. But we can't, right? Because of <laughs> Baby Billy's not a real person. It's just Paul right. the is playing the character of Baby Billy, and the actors are on strike, and so. <laughs> You know, but I mean, it's almost surprising that I've never encountered a real world version of this. I, I, maybe there is one. Yeah, know? maybe there are on some of these. Yeah, some of these televangelist channels. I've never checked any of those out. So I don't right, know because of those, they, so these channels do exist. You have that whole thing. You know, they would. Yeah, it now, seems like say, such an obvious now, not, idea for a game I, show. I will say, growing up, we talked about this a little bit last week at the church I went to when we were early teenagers. Every year we went to the Bible Bowl. This is not the Super Bowl. This is the Bible Bowl, right? Where we studied potential questions like we were going to go on Jeopardy for you know six months in advance. And we had matching you know clothes and we had all the things and we would go compete, compete, right? This is exactly what Christians should do is go compete against one another for who knows the Bible better, right? Mm -hmm. So we would go and take home our trophies from the Bible Bowl every year. So there, there's some competition out there if you want to find it. I'm sure it, uh, <laughs> sure it still exists. How many, how many of the questions did you know? Um, I think I knew, I knew all of them except one, and I'm trying to remember which one it was. It was an obscure Old Testament one, but I'm a little rusty on my Old Testament, I guess. Right. On. I was just curious. I think, <laughs> I don't know. I, I got Jesus wept. I'm not sure if I know any other ones. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I, 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 know, I know some things. Um, <laughs> well, so to throw on that, let's talk about what happens with, yeah. with all of this coming together. And... Um, Man, I mean, I guess more background is necessary almost, but maybe we just jump to it. We have the locusts. What, what did you yeah. think of that? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, 
literally biblical with a plague of locusts coming through um, this this game show and causing the I, I, I guess this climax of of tension and, and and emotion where this family has been so fractured and and broken apart and this event brings them together. It, it was interesting to me that this is an actual biblical thing that has it was what forces them to come together, not just. Baby Billy's Bible Bonkers being a biblical thing, but this actual plague of something that, you know, if you don't protect one another, this thing is going to destroy you even more than you already have. So I just, it was an interesting allegory, interesting metaphor. Um, but this family needed something after the fracture of Eli not paying the ransom that would bring them back together. And this was a good, just sort of, uh, I think, tongue-in-cheek biblical way to do that. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was great. And I didn't see this coming at all. I wouldn't, right. I wouldn't believe anyone who did on this one. <laughs> yeah. But that, because Peter is going to, so he had the U-Haul full of explosives, which Chuck blew up in the parking lot of the, I want to say save a lot for some yeah, reason. I don't know like if it. you know yeah. what the brand of the grocery store was. The, which I, I do feel the need to mention the timing of that, I thought was perfect. I hesitate to say it was funny that the explosion, but it was like perfect comedic timing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, in terms of the reaction of people when he's walking through the store and that yeah. goes off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like he's walking through, he's done, he's used the coin star and just like the timing <laughs> of it was perfect comedic timing. Although I don't know that I laughed, you know, I don't know. funny, but, but then he's got the smut busters van. <laughs> the hilarious, hilarious smut buster. I thought, oh, okay. Okay. We'll, we'll return to Kevin and Keith in a moment. Okay. But he's he's going to blow it up with that. But then you have the locusts, which, of course, Peter and they may interpret as God intervening. Yeah. yeah. Which would be hard to argue against in a certain yeah. way. Uh, <laughs> but that they played with that. I mean, all season long, I was talking to Hawk, who was writing on an episode, episode, you know, and um, we talk about, man, does Peter get in a redemption arc? And I just kept saying no. I thought the you same. Know? I was like, because I, I can't see it. I can't see how you, how you do that. How do you pull off a redemption arc for this guy who's like, literally got a militia group and getting <laughs> explosives and talking about blowing up the building and you know all, and all of this kind of stuff. And this is how they do it through this, yeah, miraculous event, basically, right? I mean, did it play that way for you? It, it did. It, I don't know that I'd even call it a, a redemption arc. I mean, an arc, you you yeah. <laughs> think about a, a build over time. It's almost like a redemption pogo stick where he just like jumps into one immediately, right? So there's just yeah, not it's, build to it, just a, a switch gets flipped right away. Right, exactly. That, that, that's, I think, the, the point I was trying to make is it, it's not it's not a redemption arc. They right. pull off a different kind of story move. This is the, um, it's like the epiphany. This is the, con mm. the conversion, the like, you know, Saul on the road of Damascus kind of thing. Mm, yeah. Does it seem like a fair? I don't know if that's a fair comparison. Yeah, no, that, that that's actually a very fair comparison. Something that is an immediate moment that causes a trigger in you to change who you were, just like, as you said, Saul and Paul. And so, you know, what is Peter going to be now? Looks like, but from that last scene, when we get uh, some, some real good shots of the Redeemer in action, that he's been accepted now again as part of this, part of this yeah. family. Somehow he only lost his... Yeah, he drives the van away and it blows up. And then you cut to the hilarious funeral for Dusty Daniels where he's 
<laughs> instead of a casket, it's a race car. <laughs> Lower oh, down man. in the race car. Well, let me just spend two seconds just commending Steve Zahn. So we saw Steve Zahn in season one of The White Lotus. It's mm-hmm. sort of this um, slightly um, emasculated but very wealthy dad who um, his kids and his wife run run his life. And then we see him as Peter in this season, just two tremendous performances. So good good for him. He's, he's done very well in these past uh, couple of HBO runs. Yeah, absolutely. And I, now I'm trying to think. Kristen, we talked about Kristen Johnson. We're immediately like, 30 Rock from the Sun. Steve yep. Zahn is, an, is one who I feel like I've known who he is forever, and I can't remember. Where, where would the touchstone be? Did anything come to mind? Like, what was, Ooh, what was like question. the first um, thing where we were like, oh, we know who Steve Zahn is now? I feel like I know him much more from movies than from TV, yeah. but I can't think of one that jumps to jumps to mind. I'd be curious if I just, you know, all right, I'm going to do this while we're talking. So right, if I you're up, look at IMDb or if something. If I pull up IMDb and I pull up Steve's on, what's going to be the first thing that's on his on his bio? Well, yeah, this is a fun game. Let's see. <laughs> Known uh, for. Wow. Known for War of Planet of the Apes. Well, I mean, no, we got to go wait, we got to go back to like the 90s, man. Yeah, all right. So known for Joyride, the the Paul Walker joint, where I think Steve Zahn was the the bad guy in that in that movie. Um, also known for Rescue Dawn, Sahara. Yeah, just none of these are registering. Like, where have I really come to come to love this guy? Let's see what I got. Let's. I wasn't going to pull it up too, but you know, here. Out of sight. Crimson Tide Reality Bites. I saw him in Reality Bites. Oh, Reality Bites. Yeah, that might be it. He's in one episode of Friends. You've got mail. So he's, I mean, he's been in some huge, huge things before. Yeah, I don't think he was like a main character in a lot of these. No, he wasn't. He really wasn't. Um, You know what I think it might have been for me is this one, uh, Happy Texas. Oh, I remember Happy Texas. Yeah, I saw that a long time ago. I think that that might have been. Yeah, where uh, where he really started getting on my radar. There's a lot of stuff in the yeah, uh, the object of my affection. This is another thing I'm gathering though. You look at this list; he was just in a lot of stuff. He's in three or four things a year. It seems like yeah, yeah, he was in a lot of stuff where he wasn't. I don't think the main character. That thing you do, yeah. suburbia. The object of my affection, out of sight, safe men, you've got mail, happy Texas, you know, Stuart <laughs> Little. We've just um, been slowly simmer, simmering with him for a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he really, I think going back to, um, you know, the late 90s, yeah, had that, um, that thing going of being, uh, that guy in that thing, you know, that guy in that thing. There you go. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah so anyway all right so there are at least two things we need we've got to touch on here before we we wrap up one of them is kelvin and keith and sort of their story and the other is judy and bj in this uh affair storyline where which one do you want to start with oh i don't know kelvin and keith i guess we've sort of hit on that a little bit with the smut busters bus and um 
I was a little surprised at the end of episode eight about by the kiss. A lot of people were really, really happy about that. If you pop onto Reddit, um, how, how did that land for you? I, you know, I'm mixed um, because I, I mean, great. I, I love the relationship that, that 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 part I think is is unimpeachable for me. But I just you know, I sort of liked this the subtleness of how they had this relationship without telling you that they had this or showed you that they had this relationship. I always found it to be funny. I found it to be um, just sort of one of the the real, um, I, I think, interesting ways how they would write the relationship without just the natural things you would do with someone that you're in a relationship with. And so when it, you know, when they were forced to separate after, after Keith uh, <laughs> has to, you know, goes too far with the smutbusters and the parents force him, force him out. Uh, it was the appropriate way for them to come back together and sort of show their their affection. But I just like the way that their relationship existed bef- before then. So we'll see what they you know what what they do now. But um, yeah, it, it, that was I mean they're two of my favorite people on the on the show. So no issues with how they how they handled it, particularly because they made them separate for for probably half the season. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we're on the same page here. Part of me thinks it's great. They're probably you know, like part of me celebrated at, yeah. at the moment. I'm curious where they'll go from here because part of what I've always found so hilarious is it's it's felt like they were oblivious to <laughs> the like raging homoeroticism in their own relationship. <laughs> you know, like that's the joke they played for season after season, basically. Yeah. You know, um, and but and I love those jokes. I I love those jokes. And so, do they continue to do that? Um, or figure out ways for these guys to express that affection in ways like that. I, I just hope we get, I hope we yeah. get some more of it. I wonder, I mean, what, what I could see happening, if I put on a, an attempt at predictions is, well, then, then maybe they kind of fumble through, yeah. I don't know, whatever comes next here. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I think it was great. I've loved their relationship throughout. And they've clearly had this kind of bond and you've had scene after scene that was also framed in, you know, <laughs> this kind of like the one scene where it's like keeps bending down in front and like kneeling in front of Kelvin and like I was like helping him put on his underwear or something, you know, it's been so, so much yeah. sad. The, the glute massage in episode eight, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's great. We'll see where they go. Um, yeah, I that. think that's where where I'm left with is is I, I thought it was I, I thought it was fantastic. I, I am curious to see where they take it. Can they make it a continue to make it an awkward love story that with everyone can continue to appreciate? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I believe in the writers here. There's pitfalls along this. <laughs> yeah. you, I, I don't know. Yeah, I can see the pitfalls. You know, right? Like. They uh, having a running arc of two guys who are um, sexually attracted to one another, but refusing to accept their own sexuality yep. or whatever. Like there are pitfalls, yep. but I, I think they can pull it off well. So hopefully they do. Um, so we've got whoa, BJ and Judy and the naked fight. <laughs> yeah. So oh, yeah, we we haven't hit on this whole arc, right? So we got the yeah. whole season arc. So let me just say, I presume if you're listening to this right now, you you've watched season three. You're interested in watching season three. I, I mean this this 
love triangle and what was what was put together and what was put on film because of this this relationship between these three people was just extraordinary i mean you let's just jump right to the the naked fight so just as a refresher uh judy and steven the guitarist for the church band have a no sex affair uh, while they're out on tour and um steven wants it to continue when they get back judy does not bj finds out about it so trains with with jesse to go you know be this tough guy and go beat up steven he goes to do that um mid pleasuring himself uh so bj walks in on on steven and they proceed to have a fight where one of them is completely naked and you've sent me now i never thought in my life i would read a six thousand word piece on vulture about the making of this naked fight but it's just phenomenal it was phenomenally written phenomenally acted and i, I just I, I mean it was incredible yeah you read that was uh, i think that was roxana hadidi who, yeah. who did it. and uh yeah it was great you know that they um yeah, this like in-depth history. People should go read this if they if they okay. have. Maybe we'll throw the link in the episode description or something like that. But that um, the extent to which it was planned, and I guess they changed their mind about exactly how it would end. Yeah, and decided that like I think originally they had BJ losing, and then they decided it would be better. By which I mean worse if BJ yeah. won, but what you know. <laughs> but that's awful, you know. <laughs> Uh, I thought this was hilarious. I, I recall I asked you what you thought about this when you got to it. You told me you were watching this episode on a plane. That sounds hilarious. Uh, yeah, yes. So let me just say, I watched, I downloaded uh, episode this episode and the one right after to watch on a plane. I do not recommend watching <laughs> this episode when you're on a plane in a middle seat in between, you know, your spouse and someone that you don't know because you're having to constantly hide what you're you're watching. Yeah, I don't I mean, remember. Just like go to Starbucks. That's what you do. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever you do, watch it in public. No, I'm kidding. That's that's wild. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this whole, you know, we've talked in the last two seasons about this prudish, uh, just no balls guy in BJ and his, his arc to try to become accepted, try to become part of this family, try to become someone that they are willing to accept and then to, to have this power. And what does he now choose to do with that power, right? Well, he chooses to try to become literally powerful and go confront this guy, literally um, grasp the power in the relationship and threaten to do that he's going to move out. But I mean, if they if they if they broke up, I, I don't know if I would continue watching the show, frankly. I, I mean, they're so yeah. good, right? That, that you know, you just knew it had to come back together, but it was just it was so well done that it just was, I guess, the C story in the in the plot throughout the season, but was just my favorite part of it. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it, it was really great though. I love the um the bit where Steven butts in as a tennis partner. Or whatever you mean. <laughs> yeah. pickleball, and, uh, I think. Pickleball. Oh, was it pickleball? I was about yeah. to ask because there's a few people who play pickleball. Um, but there's this bit, and I, I don't remember exactly what Steven says, even, but he's like trying to make fun of yes. BJ's masculinity. Yes. I love BJ, man. Because it's like you get these little bits where he says <laughs> something like, No, I'm not, but I don't think that you should talk about our queer brothers and sisters that way anyway. Or whatever, you know. <laughs> 
But he does. He stands up for himself, really. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing. Exactly. It's actually kind of sad to see him resort to violence because that's not BJ. That's not BJ. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's all. That's a lot, you know a lot of it on Jesse. I think. I think one of my favorite lines of the season is Jesse's training him, and and uh, he calls Stephen a a uh, sugary looking motherfucker, and uh, <laughs> you know, that uh, if you're from the you know listen to music in the '90s, that'll mean a lot to you. Uh, but just, I mean, I think this was really Jesse and his pals goading him on to be somebody he wasn't. Then that was uh, that got him into some trouble. Yeah, and he does it. I mean, that then it plays so well because you get the um, kind of repetition and twist a little bit when he comes home and he's all beaten up and he says, "Just you know, I hope you like me now." Yeah. <laughs> to Judy, that's what I, that, that bit, you know, yeah, yeah. Where this was going to be his line that like goes punches Stephen, like, I like me now, you know. <laughs> and uh, I mean, that's another thing where, uh, in terms of how the narrative played out meaningfully, I think the fact that mm-hmm. then you have Judy Kelvin and Jesse get kidnapped, yeah, that leads to the resolution, yeah, right. Um, and that's hilarious. And we talked about Judy. I don't know, man. You got any? You got any favorite Judy quotes? Right, I do did. This? I, I mentioned this last week. I've pulled my my three favorite Judy quotes, which uh, maybe we can get. We can come across the finish line with with, with these. Um, okay. Now again, Ju- Judy. You know, we all know. Watch the show. You, it's hard to find a quote that's not from hers that's not wildly inappropriate, right? So, if for some reason, your your kid is still listening to this nonsense. Um, you know, these are sort of in order, my my three favorites. Number one is, yeah, well, it is a sculpture and I got a good price on it because the dick is weird. Right? <laughs> this is you talking about things outside of her her home. And then, you know, we know that how much conflict there is between her and Jesse. I like it when Jesse gets in trouble. It makes my bird twitch. That's a good one. And then in season two, and really a good moment between her and Tiffany, you know, Aunt Tiffany, baby Billy's Tiffany, when she's thinking about leaving Judy tries to convince her to stay by saying, look, I know you may be a backwoods simpleton who scrubs her dresses on tree bark and stinks up the entire house with roadkill stew, but goddamn, I would miss the pitter-patter of your filthy-ass bare feet or the way you chew, chew shrimp tails with the ice like an animal. Your family, and the thought of you running away on this bus right now is making my gooch pucker. That's uh, that's Judy in a nutshell right there. Yeah, I'm trying to do compliments on you. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's just, I, the thing is, yeah, but you... It's Edie Patterson's performance is is just like you can't even imitate it. Oh my gosh! One of the ones that stands out to me in my memory is from the and I don't have this quoted verbatim, so I might get it slightly wrong. But I think it's in like season one where she says something like, "I'm a grown ass woman. I wear underwear that goes up my crack. I do sex." (laughs) 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 She just so so much of her relationship with her family is her trying to convince them that she's. Uh, belongs that she's mature because she can do sex. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, but then uh, you do get uh, her and BJ. That whole scene is really funny too, where they, where they do buy into the system. And Judy's going on about how it's like she used to think it was bullshit. Like, <laughs> and then she starts talking to Amber about how she used oh. to hate her and think she was a stupid Wendy's looking. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, she's like, but you. You don't now. She's like, no, I'm trying to. I'm doing compliments. You should be. <laughs> I'm doing compliments. Yeah. 
man, what what good writing. I mean, I just cannot tell you how happy I am that this is going to be coming back. I'm happy that you introduced me to this. That you convinced me to to check it out. I've really enjoyed these three seasons. I'm glad, man. Yeah, so hopefully we get season four. Hopefully yeah. it's not three years. I don't know. <laughs> I, I hope not. Oh, and, I hope uh, not. Well, next week, uh, this Sunday night, we will check out the first episode of season two of Winning Time on HBO. This one I know is an HBO series. Yeah, this is an HBO series. If people haven't watched this, um, you know, it's about basketball. Yep. And it's about the Showtime Lakers. Showtime Lakers. Do you, are you aware, Ryan, that the, uh, uh, the name of the show is going to be Showtime? It, w- it was going to be Showtime. Well, they can't have it be Showtime. <laughs> yeah, no exactly. Or, I mean, it, it was. I think that's the name of the book that it's based on. Yes, you it's know? based off a book called Showtime. And um, I always just imagined when, you know, it's picked up by HBO. They're like, well, we, we can't call our show the name of our rival no. network. Mm-hmm. You know, so Winning Time. Yes, the rise and the rise of the Lakers dynasty, or something like that, is the full title. Yes, that's exactly um, right. but just to throw this out there, if people didn't watch this when season one was out last year, I want to say something like that. Um, I thought it was really quite good. I mean, it's yeah. really well produced, it's got a, a heck of a cast. Uh, and for what it's worth, um, Hawk Ripjaw, who's been writing on the Righteous Gemstones for us on the site, is going to be writing on this also. He also wrote on season one. He's not a sports guy. He's not yeah. into basketball, but he he enjoys the show just from the point of view of an enjoyer of watching TV. Yeah. You know, so um, you know, maybe between now and next week, if you uh haven't watched this, I encourage people to to go check it out. I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought season yeah. one was a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to it. I think even if you didn't grow up with watching 1980s or 90s NBA or, or not a sports fan in, in general, I still think you'll like this show john c Riley is dr jerry buss the owner of the lakers is truly truly good as a it's a real sleazeball owner i mean he's just he's really great so yeah i would suggest checking out even if you're not a a basketball fan and we'll we'll uh check in the first episode of season two next week i guess all right sounds good ryan uh so as always you know follow us on uh facebook on um do i have to say x you have to say, you have to say, legally you're required to say X now. <laughs> I don't like it. And we're going to exit about this uh this this episode. <laughs> excrete. Yeah. We'll excrete this out. Uh, uh the, follow us on the um artist formerly known as Twitter. Um X whatever. Uh you can find TV obsessive socials. Um if you want to follow me personally, it's uh, at Cameron CC. Um, Ryan's at Cable Box Store on X. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Yeah, just I'm, I'm, I'm hesitating. Like, do we get sidetracked? Do we start ranting about this, or do we just like leave it? We'll be? save it. I guess we'll it'll normalize it. at some point. Anyway, um, thanks for listening. Please do leave us, you know, good reviews wherever you're listening to the podcast. You know, click those star buttons or or. Uh, what have you? You should be able to find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, Podbean, iHeart, Audible, Amazon. Hopefully, it's on other whatever. Uh, and uh, these things will be up on YouTube, uh, maybe a little bit later than they show up on the audio-only feed. But if you want to um, follow us on YouTube, please do find the TV Obsessive channel there and throw us a like, subscribe, 
And um, I think that's uh, about it for this time. Anything else, Ryan? That's it. Let's go jump on Redeemer and get out of here. All right, Redeemer. Oh, you know, there's going to be, I guess, a like uh, documentary about the Redeemer yes. truck. Yes, how they built it. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, so we will watch that. Um, okay, um, see you all next week. Next time. <laughs>